Hey, Christ Community, uh, greetings to all of you, uh, those gathered at our West Campus and those of you at our Traditions venue. Really glad all of you are here. Um, uh, before we jump into the message, there are a couple of really cool things that I want to do. First of all, we're a church that is all about developing people and empowering leaders, and, and those people um, include people on our staff team. Um, today, we have the opportunity to officially commission as pastors three of our our staff members. So I'd like to ask Cindy uh, Chavez, Shane Fanning, and Chris Ariano to come up here. Also, any elders who are here, if you would make your way up here as well. Um, and also, Pastor Bruce, come on up. Um, these three people um, have been through a fairly rigorous 14-month process, which includes theological study, um, um, uh, writing self-assessment things and, and processing information and mentorship under the direction of Pastor Bruce Hoppe. Again, a 14-month process. They have met with our elder board who has approved each one of them being officially commissioned as pastors at Christ Community. And now we want to officially recognize their new pastoral role in helping shepherd this body. So um, if you guys could scoot over here on the rug so we can see you in the camera, okay? Um, so Chris is now officially pastor of Christ Community Spanish. Um, Cindy is now pastor of, uh, pastor of Care and Prayer Ministries. And Shane is now officially pastor of E-Groups and Connections. So we would like to pray for them and officially kind of commission them as a church. So please pray with me. Father, thank you for these three uh, people who love you and that you have called to serve you. Thank you for their ministry here. And I thank you for the last, well, the journey of their lives, really, and the last 14 months as they have learned and grown together and uh, looked into your word and studied um, about you and ministry and all the practical elements and all those elements. Lord, thank you for this season. And we thank you for their ministries here, God. You're, you're using them already in so many wonderful ways. And so we just set them apart now in this um, pastoral role. We commission them now as shepherds in this flock that you would use them for your glory in each of their areas of ministry. God, we pray blessing on Chris and Cindy and Shane. You would fill them, Holy Spirit. You would provide everything they need. You would use them to shepherd your people. And so we entrust them to you. We thank you for them, God. And we bless them now as a church. We bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay, second cool opportunity um, relate, is related to our For the City and Beyond vision to help girls who are caught in sex trafficking, the horrible practice of sex trafficking. We are partnering with a ministry in India called The Courage Home that provides a safe place for these girls to be rescued from and then to live and to heal through the power of Christ's love. Most of these girls are 13 to 14 years old. 
which is just horrible. But um, we, we just had a team go over there. They delivered all the 100 teddy bears that we had contributed. So you remember that. So that team, they just got back a few weeks ago. And here, here's the deal. Their current facility at the Courage Home is cramped and is not in a great location. So they have bought a plot of land to build a new facility. Now, recently, a strip of land adjacent to that property has become available, which they would like to purchase for expansion potential as well as added security. So we were praying about this, and we just decided we wanted to present this need to our church family during the month of April, if any of you would like to contribute towards this. This is not a part of our general ministry fund. It's not a part of our For the City and Beyond budget. So any gift that you're giving would be over and above what you're giving as areas. other areas. We're not asking you to take what you're given for the city and now give it over here because we have needs over here too. So this is kind of over and above. The cost of this piece of land is $45,000, but someone outside of our church is providing a matching grant on this. So we just need $22,500 to purchase this strip of land. So for every dollar we give, another dollar will be given. So if you would like to contribute to this opportunity, it's very easy. You can do so online. You can do so with the text to give. You see on the screen here, you can do so via check to Christ community during the month of April. And just be sure and designate um, your gift towards the Courage Home. Put that somewhere on the, the check or whatever. I mean, we, we, we know you guys are an amazingly generous church. And I know you're going to pray about this and just do whatever God wants you to do. And that's all we're asking. And we'll just see what, what God does. But we're just thankful for the opportunity to present this need before you. Okay, if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 18. This is the last week in the Upside Down Kingdom series. Next week, we're going to be starting the final section of the book of Luke, and we're calling that series Encounters because it is filled with various people encountering Jesus. So I'm super excited about that series. Okay, Luke 18. Beginning in verse 9, Jesus tells this, this very short parable, a fairly simple story about two men who go up to the temple to pray. Now, many people think that this passage is primarily teaching about prayer, but it is actually about way more than that. This passage, this story answers the most important spiritual question that humanity is asking. When you look at surveys, the vast majority of people believe in some aspect of spirituality. They believe in a divine being, a God, that God does indeed exist. For many people, the question is not whether God exists. The question is, how do we connect with him? How do we get into a relationship with this God? How do we know whether he even accepts us? If he is this holy, perfect creator being, how on earth can we connect with him? I mean, we are far from perfect. So how do broken people like you and me connect with this holy God? I mean, that is the most important spiritual question that we as humans are asking. Every world religion is trying to answer this question. And what Jesus shows us in this passage is that there really are only two ways of answering that question. When you look at all the world religions and all the different religious ideas out there, there really are only two possible ways to approach God. And here's the upside down kingdom, politically incorrect reality that Jesus asserts in this passage. One of these approaches works and one of them doesn't. 
In one of these approaches, God welcomes us with open arms. In the other approach, he doesn't. Now, before we jump to any conclusion that I, what I just said is offensive and intolerant or whatever, let's just look at the actual passage and let Jesus speak for himself. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's word. Now, this entire story hinges upon a critically important word. It's the word justified. Jesus says in verse 14, this man, rather than the other man, went home justified before God. So what does it mean to be justified before God? This word is actually a legal term. It refers to when a judge declares someone not guilty. So to be justified means to stand before this holy God as an innocent person. Now, years ago, I learned a little play on words to help understand what the word justified means. I've remembered this for like 35 years or something. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. It means that you are declared innocent before God. Not that you are innocent, it's that you are declared innocent before God. It's that, in other words, you are completely accepted by God. See, that's what every human being, that's what all of us as humans long for, to experience acceptance from God, to be justified before him, which of course raises the obvious question, which is how? How does this happen? How can we be justified before God? How can we as broken people be acceptable in God's sight? That's the question this story answers. In this story, one man is justified before God. He is accepted by God. The other man isn't. And so what makes the difference between these two radically different realities? Well, it all boils down to a very specific word that Luke uses in verse 9. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, Jesus told this parable. The key word here is the word confident. This word confident or confidence means trust. What are we trusting in? What are we placing our confidence in in order to be justified before God? That is the critical issue that determines whether or not we experience a relationship with God. What are we trusting in? And as I said before, there really are only, when you boil everything down, there really are only two options in terms of what we're trusting in. Every human being, Every human being falls into one of these two categories as it relates to this question. So let's look first at option one. 
option one, which is vividly displayed by the first man in this story. What is he placing his confidence in? Luke tells us, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. See, this man is placing his confidence in his own righteousness. In other words, he is trusting in his own goodness in order to be justified before God. And he, he believes that he can earn God's acceptance by what he does, by the way he lives. Now, Jesus tells us, he refers to this man as a Pharisee. He was, in other words, he was a religious leader. The Pharisees were all about following rules and living moral lives. That's how they believed God accepted them, on the basis of their goodness, on the basis of their good works, their righteousness. So this is why when this man approaches God in the temple, he prays about his own performance. It's not really a prayer at all, you'll notice, but this is about his own performance. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Now notice what he's doing here. He is extolling all the reasons why God should accept him. He fasts twice a week, which is twice as much as was expected um, in their practices. He also faithfully ties. He gives 10% of his income to the Lord. Both of these are very noble and worthy practices. The problem was he was placing his trust in these things to earn God's acceptance. He was on a pathway of trying to impress God with his religious practices and devotion. See, this is the instinctive pathway that most of humanity pursues in their spirituality. We are all asking, what must I do in order to be acceptable to God, in order to be in a relationship with God? Everyone's asking that. So some people, they answer it by saying, just be good. Just be a good person, be a decent person, be a kind person. See, if you're a good person, you're nice to your neighbor, you know, all that stuff, you deserve God's acceptance just by being good. A Muslim would say, you just need to practice these certain things in order to be accepted by God. I attended a Mormon funeral a few months ago, and while they at times talked about Jesus as Savior, they also made it very clear that our acceptance before God is based upon how well we obey him in certain things. So let me just say, if you are here and you're just kind of exploring different faiths, you know, you're exploring different world religions and all of that, different pursuits of spirituality, I urge you, as you're exploring, I urge you to look at them all through this lens. Ask this question, what does this particular religion or whatever, what does it say about how I can gain acceptance before God. Because if it's about certain things you have to do, then it's promoting this idea of tr that you can trust in your own effort in order to get to God. Now, honestly, there are a lot of church-going people, including some of us here, who are living this belief system that God's acceptance of us is dependent upon how well we are following him. Did you pray today? 
Did you obey him last night? Did you do all the things that Christians are supposed to do? See, all of this stuff may look very spiritual on the outside, but it is rooted, it is rooted in this core idea that the way to get to God is by trusting in your own effort. Now, as I've said all along, all of us here are vulnerable to this perspective, but it's not always easy to see in ourselves. And so what are some indicators that, 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 we're, that, that we might be trusting in our own effort in order to gain acceptance before God? What are some indicators? Well, Jesus shows us two indicators in this passage. First indicator is what we might call spiritual blind spots. Spiritual blind spots. Here is this Pharisee gloating about what a good person he was because he fasted and tithed and hadn't committed adultery or robbery. He had perfectly kept his list. But do you see any sins that he didn't include on his list? Like pride, for instance, um, or a critical spirit. See, those are significant sins in God's eyes. But this man didn't see those things. He didn't see his lack of love. He didn't see his lack of compassion. He didn't see his arrogance. He had a, you know, he had huge spiritual blind spots. He was just focused on keeping his list. And because he had, had, he had kept his list, he felt pretty good about himself. I remember a number of years ago, um, I've told the story before, but it's just, it's, it, it fits here. Uh, a number of years ago, a friend of mine and I, we decided to hold each other accountable with regard to an area of sin that we both were struggling with. That was sexual lust, right? So we would meet weekly and ask each other for accountability, ask each other how we were doing. And, and very soon it became evident that there was really no, there was no real consequence to this accountability. There was no real bite. You know, one of us, yeah, I kind of messed up. Ah, so did I, you know, that kind of thing. So, we had this brilliant idea. Whoever gives into lust that week had to pay the other person $20. Okay. So, so it was a great idea, right? So we tried this for a few weeks and it actually seemed to be working. Neither of us, you know, gave into lust. But then one day I had this realization. The only reason I'm avoiding lust is because of my greed. I didn't want to lose 20 bucks. See, I had just switched sins, but I felt really good about myself because I was keeping my list. I wasn't giving it to the sin on my list. See, when we focus on our list of behaviors and we do those things, we feel pretty good about ourselves. But how complete is our list anyway? So we haven't committed adultery, but have we spent time looking at porn on the internet? <laughs> So I had my prayer time today. But have I loved people well? Have I been patient with my children? Have I been generous towards the people around me? So I tithe 10%. But have I really cared about the poor? See, when we're trusting in our own effort in order to earn God's acceptance, our capacity for spiritual blind spots is huge. I've been a pastor probably 28 years this summer. I've been a pastor here 28 years. I have had numerous people in my office wanting help with some area of sin, adultery or porn usage or anger. I have never had anyone come into my office to ask for help with their pride. I have never had anyone come in my office to ask for help with their greed. Do we not struggle with these things? Or are they just not on our list of sins? 
See, one of the indicators that we're placing our confidence in our own righteousness is that we begin to develop spiritual blind spots that we conveniently ignore, all the while feeling like we deserve God's acceptance because we're keeping our list. Which leads to the second indicator that we're trusting in our own righteousness, and that's a judgmental attitude. A judgmental attitude. Luke tells us in verse 9 that Jesus told this parable for those who looked down on everybody else, which is exactly what the Pharisee does. Verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, you know, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, he's comparing himself to other sinners and feeling good about himself because he doesn't struggle with that sin. Oh, I'm not like them. I mean, now we, we sort of laugh at this guy's arrogance, but aren't we all vulnerable to the same attitude? I mean, how easily do we judge people and we look down on people who struggle with things that we don't struggle with? We may look down on those who turn to alcohol or drugs in order to numb their emotional pain, but then we ignore our tendency to turn to shopping or Facebook or work to numb our emotional pain. We may look down on those who struggle with same-sex attraction, but, but we conveniently downplay our own sexual struggles. See, when we believe that God accepts us because of our good behavior, we will inevitably look down on and judge people who are sinning in areas that we don't struggle with, all the while ignoring our struggles with certain areas of sin, our own materialism, our own anger, our own deception our own prejudice, our own self-centeredness, or whatever. I mean, isn't it funny how, and I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm right here, I do this all the time. No, I don't I'll do all this all the time, you understand it more. But, but, but isn't it funny, when, when someone cuts us off in traffic, right, they're a jerk who deserves our horn honk and maybe a hand gesture or something, right? But they deserve it, okay? But when we accidentally cut someone off in traffic and they honk at us, we're appalled at their short fuse, right? Come on, give me a break. Why is everyone so angry in this world? See, why do we want the break when it's us, but we're yelling at the person when they do it, when they, when they do it to us? See, if you want an indicator of whether or not you're trusting in your own righteousness, just look at how judgmental you are toward other people who aren't behaving the way you want and then look at how easily you let yourself off the hook in your own areas of sin. Both of these are indicators of a life in which we're placing our confidence in our own effort. Now, what Jesus makes absolutely clear in this passage is that ultimately, this trusting in our own effort leads to one very significant result. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus says in verse 14 that the Pharisee didn't go home justified before God. He didn't experience what he thought he deserved, a relationship with God. No, he actually received the opposite. See, the opposite of being justified is being guilty. So instead of being declared righteous by God, we are declared guilty. When we're trusting in our own goodness, there is actually a separation between us and God. Why? Because he is holy and we're not, no matter, how we hard, no matter how hard we try to change that reality, we're separated. See, Jesus couldn't be any clearer. Trusting in your own righteousness, trusting in your own goodness 
doesn't work. No matter how noble these practices are, no matter how helpful these particular things happen to be, doesn't matter. The bottom line is it doesn't result in a relationship with God. That's option one. No matter how good it looks, it doesn't result in a relationship with God. So what, what does result in a relationship with God? Well, let's look at option two, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, this story, and Jesus did this all the time, this story had to be absolutely shocking to those who were hearing it initially, right? The one who is not justified is the Pharisee. I mean, the the guy that everyone there looked up to as being the, the, the most spiritually mature person. He's the one that's not justified, while the one who is justified is the tax collector. I mean, tax collectors were at the top of the list of sinners in that society. They were greedy. They were deceptive. They were tools of the Roman government. They were traitors. No wonder the Jews hated tax collectors. And yet in this story, the tax collector is justified before God. Okay, so how does this sinner of sinners, this tax collector, how does he experience being accepted by the holy God of the universe? It's by placing his confidence, not in his own effort, not in his own good behavior, but in something else entirely. Look again at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. Notice he stands at a distance. He won't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. He even calls himself a sinner. All of these things reveal the fact that in his heart, he is not placing his confidence in his own righteousness. He fully realizes he is not righteous. He is not holy. He is not deserving of God's acceptance. See, this is the the first and most difficult step into a relationship with God. It's in admitting that we don't deserve it. It's in admitting that we're sinners. You know, it's so interesting to me. In our society today, most people seem to be perfectly okay talking about their brokenness. And they are perfectly okay admitting their struggles. But what we have a really hard time admitting is that we're sinners, Because that word sinner implies that we've done something wrong, that we have broken God's commands, that we deserve his judgment. That's not something that is easy to admit. I mean, we are great. We are great at shifting the blame. We're great at minimizing our responsibility. We're great at comparing ourselves to people who are much worse than we are, right? Justifying ourselves, right? We're great at doing that, all in this subconscious attempt to not admit our guilt, I'll admit I'm broken, but I'm not going to admit I'm guilty, right? And so what this tax collector is doing here is an incredibly difficult, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly difficult thing. He is fully owning his guilt before God. He is repenting of his sin, which is the first step into a relationship with God. But that's not all he does here. Not, Not only does he repent of trusting in his own goodness to earn God's acceptance, he also then places his confidence in something else. Notice again what this tax collector says to God. God, have mercy on me, 
a sinner. Now, this word mercy here, very interesting. Luke could have used a very common word for mercy, but he didn't. He used a very unusual word, a very powerful word, because this word mercy, it means to make an atonement for. So what does atonement mean? Atonement means payment for sin. See, remember, this man is standing at the temple. They went to the temple to pray. This man is standing at the temple where animals were regularly sacrificed as an atonement for sin, a blood payment for sin. But those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, ultimately point to the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ voluntarily giving his life on the cross for our sins. His blood is an atoning sacrifice. It pays for our sin. In other words, it actually, his blood enables us to be declared righteous before God, the judge. So imagine you're in a courtroom and you're on trial and the trial has just happened. You're convicted of a crime. You are guilty. And just before the judge sentences you to prison, someone else comes up and they offer to take your place. They take your punishment. And when they do, you are declared innocent. You are justified by this other person's sacrifice. See, that is what Jesus has done for us. His blood sacrifice has paid for our sin. All of it. His blood covers our sin so that we can stand before God fully loved and fully accepted by him. Now, what this means is that the way into a relationship with God, the way we experience God's acceptance is not by trusting in our own work and effort, but rather it's by placing our trust in the atoning work of Christ on the cross for us. Now, I'm told that when someone is drowning, and a lifeguard approaches them to save them, sometimes the lifeguard actually has to wait a few feet away. They have to wait to help them. Why? Because the person is so desperately trying to save themselves that their flailing makes it impossible and dangerous, honestly, dangerous to get near them. In order to be saved from drowning, a person has to stop trying to save themselves and surrender to the arms of the lifeguard. See, it is then that they can be taken to safety. So when it comes to your relationship with God, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your own effort? your own goodness, your own church attendance, your own quiet time, whatever, your own sincerity? Are you trusting in those things? If so, you are drowning, spiritually speaking. You may be able to tread water for a while, but all of that effort will not save you. Jesus invites you to stop trying to save yourself, to stop trying to earn your way to God and instead humbly receive the help of your lifeguard, Jesus. He's the only one who can take you to safety. The only one who can bring you into a relationship with God. No other religion offers you what Jesus offers you. A way for your sins, a way for your sins to be forgiven. 
a way for you to experience God's very own presence coming to live inside of you, loving you forever and ever. No other religion offers you that. So in whom or what are you trusting? Your effort or his? Now, I want to apply this question to two groups of people here. First, are those of you who realize that you've been trying to save yourself. You, you, you've been trusting in your own effort and you realize you're drowning. See, Jesus invites you to place your trust in him. This is not about joining some religion. This is about a relationship with God, a personal relationship between you and God. In just a moment, I want to give an opportunity for any of you to receive Jesus in that way. But, but before we do that, I want to address another group of people here, and that's those of you who have already placed your trust in Jesus. You've already received him. Here's, here's my question to you. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Now, now that you've entered in and you've received Christ, are you still trying to earn his acceptance? Earlier, I mentioned two indicators that we're trusting in our own effort, spiritual blind spots and a judgmental attitude. And we, both of those things can creep into our lives as Christians as well. They can creep into our lives when we're trusting in our own effort. But there's another often overlooked indicator that we're trusting in our own effort, and it's what I would call spiritual exhaustion. Spiritual exhaustion. See, when as a Christian, you're placing your confidence in your own effort, what happens when you fail? What happens when you fail again and again? What happens when you can't even keep your own moral standard? I know what happens because I've lived it. You sink into a place of shame. You assume that no one else struggles with what you struggle with. No one else has done what you've done. You secretly feel that God is becoming increasingly disgusted with you because of your struggles with sin. Some of us, as Christians, some of us carry this shame for years. While on the surface, we're projecting, oh, we've got it all day. Oh, we're doing great. God is good. We're doing all that on the surface. But inwardly, we're carrying the shame for years. Others of us, after carrying that a while, we, we, we just decide, it's just not. I'm just throwing in the towel on this Christianity thing. We just get tired of feeling like a failure. We get tired of not measuring up. It's just exhausting. It's like, what's the use? Well, what's the answer to this spiritual exhaustion thing? Here's the answer straight from Jesus. Stop trusting in your own effort. Stop trusting in your own effort. Stop trying to earn your way to God and instead receive afresh his mercy that he has already given you. See, God wants to connect with you. That's what the atonement's all about. He initiated this. <laughs> he wants to connect with you. His atoning blood has paved the way for you and me to gain access into his presence 24-7. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have fallen, his mercy is yours. You don't have to earn it back. You don't have to earn it back. Just dive in to the ocean of his mercy where you don't need a lifeguard because drowning is the point. Drowning's the point. 
In the ocean of God's mercy, we drown to our self-effort and our pride and all of our attempts to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God. And in that place of humility, in that place of repentance and release, we find life. <laughs> we find life. We discover the greatness of and sufficiency of our incredible Savior. We discover his mercy again, and it changes everything. It changes everything. Let's pray together. So I want us to respond here. Um, I mentioned before, there are two groups of people, and so we're going to give both here a chance to respond. You know, the point of hearing a message like this and looking at the word is, is not just so that we fill our mind with, oh, that's interesting. It's, it's for response. How do we respond to what God is saying to us? to each one of us here. So let me just say, first of all, there may be some of you here, and, and I'm just asking you, are you trying to save yourself? You know, good deeds, being nice, following some religious system, whatever it happens to be, are you trying to save yourself by being good? If so, I'm just telling you, it won't work. It doesn't work. You can't make yourself more acceptable to God. You're drowning Spiritually speaking, you're drowning. And here's my question. Are you willing to let Jesus be your lifeguard? Are you willing to let Jesus save you? If that's you, I want to invite you. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer right now. And I encourage you, you can pray this prayer in the silence of your heart. We're entering into a relationship with Jesus. This is like this first step into a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, Pray with me. If you've already have a relationship with Jesus, you don't need to pray this. We'll get to you in just a moment. But let's just, let's pray together. Let me, let me lead you now in a prayer. Just pray in the quiet of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I'm a sinner. I've broken your commands. I've run away from you. I've done my own thing. And I realize that my sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. And I realize even though there is nothing I can do, no matter how hard I try, nothing I can do to earn my way to you, you did something for me. You sent your son, Jesus, to earth to live a perfect life. And then Jesus, you gave your life for me. An atoning sacrifice. You paid the penalty for my sin. Thank you. And I choose right now to place my trust in your work on the cross. I bring to you all my sin and my failures and my attempts at self-righteousness and my doubts and questions. I just bring all that to you and I leave it with you, Jesus. And in exchange 
For that, I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness of my sins, past, present, and future. I receive your Holy Spirit to come live in me forever. Holy Spirit, change me from the inside out through the power of Jesus' love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray they would grow now in this amazing relationship with you that's not based on their effort, but on your work. And if that's you, if you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to tell someone. And I also encourage you, it's not too late, you can jump in to our Alpha course on Wednesday nights. There's more information on our, on our website just about Alpha. Great next step for you. Okay, so that's this first response. Second response those of you, you've already prayed that prayer. You, you know Jesus. He lives in you. Let me just ask you, or let's just ask the Lord, what, what, what am I trusting in? Just ask the Lord, what am I trusting in on a daily basis? My ability to follow or Jesus' ability to lead? Am I trusting in my effort or yours, God? So as you're asking that, let me just remind us here. Holy Spirit, would you show us, first of all, any spiritual blind spots? Areas of our life that we've just conveniently ignored. The anger. Oh, we're so spiritual because we do these things. We conveniently ignore the anger we demonstrate at home. The impatience we have. The greed whatever it happens to be. Holy Spirit, show us any blind spots. And if he does, just repent of that. Just acknowledge that to him. Or Holy Spirit, now show us any areas of judgment, any judgmental attitudes where we look down on other people because they struggle with that sin and we conveniently kind of let off ourselves off the hook for the things we struggle with. God, would you forgive us for any judgmental attitudes that we have? What about spiritual exhaustion and shame? Maybe did that resonate with some of you here where, where you just feel like no one else struggles with what you struggle with? You just feel increasing under a pile. And you're trying and it just seems like it's two steps forward, three steps back and you just feel like a spiritual failure. All of those indicators are rooted in the same thing. You're trusting in your own effort to get to God. So let me just ask you, and you can just, just in the quiet of your heart, think about this question. What would it look like for you to swim in the ocean of God's mercy? Imagine yourself jumping into the ocean of God's mercy. Suddenly, we're not afraid to admit spiritual blind spots, are we? 
So, Lord, we just pray for that mercy covering our blind spots and opening our eyes to see and admit our struggles. And, Lord, I pray your mercy would fill these places of, of, of judgmental attitudes we have and that we would see other people through the lens of mercy the way you see us. And, Father, I also pray for those of us here, we just feel exhausted, we feel shame. There's something wrong with us that we're, we've disappointed you again. There's no way you could possibly love us. Lord, I pray for those here who struggle with that. I pray your mercy. We would drown in your mercy that covers even that. Your atonement paid for all of our sin, even the sin we haven't committed yet. There's nothing we can do to become unacceptable to you. And so I pray for each one of us to swim in this mercy every moment of every day. We don't ever want to get out of this ocean. We want to swim in this mercy because we know your mercy transforms us. We want to walk closely with you. We want to follow you. We want to love you because you love us. But it's not about earning our way. It's about responding to the mercy that's already ours. So we're grateful. God, I pray for all of us just to go for a swim in your mercy. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We humble ourselves and acknowledge our need. Have mercy on us and help us to live in your mercy and be transformed by your mercy. So we have an opportunity now to respond to his mercy and to celebrate his mercy by um, singing some songs of worship to him. So why don't we stand? If you want to stand, that's great. If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool as well. But let's just let our hearts be filled with mercy. The Holy Spirit is moving. He's here. Just let him continue to pour out mercy as we sing, as we praise him. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.